All right, welcome to the NFL Draft Eve version of the Third Down Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn. Follow me on Twitter at PatSportsGuy. Today, special treat, my former boss, Mark Schofield, is joining the podcast. He is He has his own podcast show, The Sco Show, uh, Pat's Pulpit, Touchdown Wire. What else are you doing now, Mark? Hey, Patrick, it's good to be with you. And I'm kind of all over the place. I mean... The easiest way to keep up with all the hijinks is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You get lots of Scrubs gifts, lots of Peaky Blinders gifts, lots of Toto references. But like you said, Touchdown Wire, myself, Doug Farrar, um, covering the NFL draft. Um, also places like you mentioned inside the pylon, uh, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. I've got the podcast, The Sco Show, which is a Patriot-centric podcast over at Pat's Pulpit. But I also co-host the QB Sco Show with Michael Kist over at Bleeding Green Radio, um, which is an Eagle-centric, quarterback-centric podcast. I do write in for uh, Big Blue View as well. But easiest way to find me on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm trying to catch up to you um, since my days of not being at Inside the Pylon anymore. Uh, you know, I do WFAA for the Cowboys, uh, Longhorns Wire. I host the Locked On Longhorns podcast, Cowboys Beat podcast with Ari Temkin. So I'm trying to catch up. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. Oh, I cannot forget. I also do Draft Wire as part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. See, so. Patrick, that's what happens once you start getting all these gigs. It's good, but then stuff slips through the cracks. Like I sit here in my little home office and I've got like a I've got two different whiteboards. I've got one to like do actual work on. Like I'm working on a, a second round mock draft because I'm going to have to have, have that up Friday morning. But I've also got one that's just like a monthly calendar. And that just gets like crowded with stuff that I've got to do, pods I got to do, shows I got to do. You got you to gotta stay organized because otherwise stuff slips through the cracks. Yeah. You can't it have does. It. it does. Uh, so, I, I mean, I know you're like me. We're both kind of. At this point now where we're like, okay, NFL draft, hurry up, get here, and hurry up and get over because right. we're tired of talking about the same thing. Social distancing, right. the quarantine. We have nothing better to do than sit at home all day and talk about all these different players and teams and fits. And So I got to know, what's the over-under on the amount of Scrubs episodes that you've watched during quarantine? Well, are we just talking episodes? Because I will say this, that we've, we are into double digits, my wife and I, um, in scrub shows, scrubs episodes during the quarantine. But I will mention Zach Braff and Donald Faison, they started a podcast that came out called Fake Doctors, Real Friends with, with Zach Braff, Donald Faison. They've got five episodes now where they're going through sort of a rewatch of the show. They're talking about the episodes, like the first episode of their podcast. They talk about, you know, the first episode, the pilot, but they also talk about, you know, filming the show in an old abandoned hospital. They talk about their audition process. They talk about why they were both like blown away by Sarah Chaka, who was, you know, Elliot on the show. So I'd highly recommend you listen to this podcast. If you, if you like the scrubs, if you're a fan of Zach Braff, if you like Don Faison, like they're both really funny guys. Listen to this podcast. It's fantastic. Okay. When we get off of this podcast, I'm going to need you to DM me the link. I'm going to add that to my listens. There you uh, go. Because that'd be fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I know you probably talked about this a lot, but we're going to get into it. Uh, obviously, Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay drew quite a stir. Especially in New England, you know, having to watch the guy that led them to six Super Bowl championships, arguably the best quarterback of all time, 
and now Gronkowski is following him. So what's the pulse like in Foxborough right now? Are, are people going nuts because two guys that they saw uh, for over a decade carry them to so many championships and championship runs are now going to be playing down in Florida? Yeah, the mood isn't great up in New England. And I will say that, you know, I've been a Patriots. I was a Patriots fan before I started covering this team. Like I was a, uh, I started following Tom Brady as a as a fan before I started covering him professionally. And in the years I've been a Patriots fan, you know, having grown up in the area and everything, you know, when they started winning and Belichick started making some head scratching decisions at times, like you know, moving on from Richard Seymour, you know, some of the draft picks that he's made. People have sort of said that maybe he's not the greatest general manager there is, but there always there was always this phrase in Bill we trust because the idea was, you know, if you made some mistakes in player personnel and in the evaluation, the draft process, he'd be able to figure it out because he was such a great head coach. I will say that right now some of the shine has gone off of that phrase. Some of the belief in Bill Belichick has been stripped away. I mean, you can go on Twitter right now. You will see video clips. You will hear audio clips of callers into Boston radio shows. Not that, you know, drive time sports talk, especially in the Boston area is, you know, the perfect pulse of a sports fan base, but the mood is sour. There are a lot of people that seem to have really turned on Belichick because the idea right now is, not only did Tom Brady move on from him, but Gronk came out of retirement. And the only reason he came out of retirement, yeah, to play with Tom Brady, but also to get away from Bill Belichick. Like He didn't want to come back and play for New England. He wanted to get away from Bill Belichick. And so there's this thought process that's starting to form in and around the Patriots fan base that Bill was the guy that drove these two guys away. Like you said, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and perhaps one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Now they want to go play somewhere else. Now, winning cures all for the most part. And so if the Patriots come back and they start starting to get the wins, you know, the, and build we trust mantra will come back. But the problem with that is they've got a tough schedule. They might have a shortened preseason. You're going to be breaking in a new quarterback for the first time in two decades. And they've got a tough schedule. I mean, if they have the full 16-game schedule, Patrick, you look at the fact that they're playing a first-place schedule. So you get Houston, you get Baltimore, you get Kansas City. They have the NFC West on their schedule this year. So not only do you have the San Francisco 49ers coming to New England, but you've got to make trips to Seattle and you've got to make trips to LA to play the Rams. Those are two West Coast trips. And they also have to go to the LA to play the Chargers this year. So this schedule is a bit tougher. Then you factor in the fact that the Buffalo Bills look better. The New York Jets look better. The Miami Dolphins have spent a ton of money in free agency and they have three first round draft picks. This could be a bumpy ride. And for Bill Belichick himself, this draft, this next season, are going to go a long way to sort of write in the final chapter of his story because you have the pre-Patriots era with what he was doing with the Giants and his time with the, with the Browns in Cleveland. Then you have the Patriot-Brady run, and then your final chapter is going to be his life post-Brady. It might get off to a rocky start, but the mood is sour. Listeners to my podcast are feisty. Sports talk listeners are angry. And he's got a draft with 12 draft picks to perhaps right the ship. Yeah, I've the, the memes have been coming out. I've seen the uh, Julian Edelman, you know, right. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. How come yep. Tom don't want me, man? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's hard not to be sour, I guess, you know, if you're so used to what was going on there for what you said, you know, better part of two decades. And, and now it's, it's completely changed. And, 
And just real quick before we get into draft talk, um, is Jarrett Stidham going to be the quarterback this year? You know, Patrick, I believe the answer is yes. I think if you look at now, to be fair, they're 31st of all 32 teams in cap space available. Like they have maybe 1.7 million available right now, you know, roughly, you know, depending on how you look at it. Some people have different numbers. The guy I go by at Pat's cap on Twitter, Miguel Benzon, he has it around 1.7. That's a guy I trust. But basically, the Kansas City Chiefs have enough to make a grocery run. And the Patriots are the next team on that list. They don't have a ton of space. But that being said, look, their quarterback move this offseason was to bring back Brian Hoyer. You have potentially Andy Dalton available via trade. You have you know, Cam Newton available in free agency. You have Jameis Winston available in free agency. And their move has been to bring back Brian Hoyer. Now, that tells me up front that they're looking at him to be that veteran backup mentor type guy like Josh McCown was perhaps for Sam Darnold and last year for Carson Wentz. And they're going to try to build around Stidham. I will also tell you that from talking to people in the building, talking to people closer to the team than I am, there is excitement within the organization for Jarrett Stidham. When they drafted him last year, they liked some of what he did on film. They liked a bit more what he did down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl when he was running Kyle Shanahan's offense. When he came in for rookie minicamp, it was a bit of a disaster. I've been told stories about him throwing interceptions during walkthroughs. I mean, you're talking about the the offense is going up against trash cans on the other side of the ball, and he's still throwing interceptions. People were on the sidelines wondering what in the world they had done by drafting this kid. But then when he comes back in for training camp, he's much improved. He was great during the preseason. They really liked what he did. And if you hear guys like Devin McCourty and Stephon Gilmore talk about him, they'll say that, look, our defense was better because of what he was doing against us in practice. And so you put this all together, I think the plan is they're going to see what they have in Jared Stidham for this season ahead. And if Bill Belichick got the evaluation right, if Josh McDaniels got the coaching part of it right, if... Stidham's own work with Jordan Palmer out on the West Coast. You know, he's studying from Jordan Palmer. He's working out with guys like Sam Darnold and company, Kyle Allen, Joe Burrow. If if all of these things come together, they might have gotten the guy. If not, then given that schedule I just walked you all through, they might be looking at a seven and nine, a, a six and ten type season. If you start seeing them trade picks in this draft for next year's draft, that will give you an inclination that they're hedging their bet with Stidham. And if things go sour, they're going to have a, enough capital perhaps move up for a Justin Fields, for a Trevor Lawrence. And I've joked about this before. Look, if you want to avoid a Trevor Lawrence to Foxborough to New England situation, you know, if it's late December and you're a team that's not going to the playoffs and you're playing the Patriots, just lay down. Like, just take the L. Do it for the rest of the league because if New England goes like four and twelve somehow and they stumble into you know Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, well then guys, that's all on you. Like don't hold it against us when you know two years from now they're rolling out Sunshine or Justin Fields at quarterback and they're in a position to perhaps run the league for the next twenty years. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah no, that's that's a fair point. Uh, I get it, it and I uh, I applaud you for going down that down that rabbit hole there. Uh, that that's something I don't. As, as somebody who's watched the Patriots win for the last 20 years, not something I want to see. No, uh, I mean, nobody wants to see it. And I, and I get it. Look, I every show, Patrick, I go on, people are like, look, man, we kind of hate you. 
And I get it. I understand it. Like, I don't take it personally. It's if I were a fan of another team, any other of the 31 teams, I'd get it too. I, I would despise what New England has done. And the last thing I would want to see is New England somehow stumbling into another situation where suddenly they get another great quarterback. So I'm just saying, guys, let them finish like eight and eight. Okay. Right you know, middle. right in the middle. So it's, they don't get that chance to get up to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I'm just throwing that out there. All right, so let's get into the draft a little bit. Um, obviously, we've talked. We're going to talk about the sum. I just want to get into it right away. Surprises on deck for the NFL draft on day one. Any surprises that you think might happen? Maybe not so much surprises to you, but maybe the casual fan might view it as a surprise. Right. I think there are so many different scenarios that could unfold. Like I think we can all agree that the draft starts at two. Like Joe Burrow at one to Cincinnati. I don't think we're going to see a shocker there. We're hearing on Twitter and elsewhere that he's already been told he's the pick. Like I don't, I don't think Cincinnati does something crazy there. And I certainly don't think that a team is going to be willing to pay what it would take to get up to that spot. Like if, if you're Cincinnati, the only way you're moving out of one of it is if a team like say the Dolphins gives you all three first rounders this year and maybe their next 10 first rounders. Like you're asking for the Kings ransom to move out. So I think the draft starts at two. Is it possible we see a trade at two? I think it is. You know, the more, you know, People like myself, people like Ben Solak over at the Draft Network have written, have done mock drafts where Washington trades out of two. And a lot of people from the Washington fan base push back on that and say, look, how can you pass on Chase Young? Well, I'll walk you through a potential scenario that does involve a lot of ifs. It's not entirely plausible, let alone likely, but it could happen. Say they trade out of two to five. That's the scenario here. Miami comes up to get a quarterback. You know, maybe it's Herbert, maybe it's two or whatever. So you got Burrow at one, quarterback to the Dolphins at two. Now at three, you've got the Detroit Lions, Patrick. And I've been told by people in and around Detroit that they like Derek Brown, the defensive tackle from Auburn. Like, they need to stop the run. They have no help on the interior defensive line. They really like Derek Brown. So say you've got quarterback, quarterback Derek Brown now at three to the Lions. At four, New York Giants. Offensive line is obviously in play for them. It's a need for them. And they also like Isaiah Simmons. Now, would they pass on Chase Young? Maybe not. They could help with the pass rush. But maybe they do. Then now at five, you've got Washington, who passed on Chase Young, fallen into their lap. Or even if Chase Young comes off the board at four to the Giants, a lot of people say, look, Chase Young's nice and all, but Washington needs help in the secondary more than anything else. They have Montez Sweat. They have Ryan Kerrigan. No, they have Jonathan Allen more in the interior. If there's a strength on Washington's roster, it's the defensive front. So they might need Jeffrey Okuda more. Well, now you've traded out of two. You've accumulated more picks. Maybe Miami gave you five and 18. Now at five, Jeffrey Okuda is there for you. So this could be a really interesting top five. Outside of that, I think there is the potential for Tua to fall. That's one thing you can see. I think another thing is teams coming up to get in front of the wide receiver trinity. Everybody expects that, look, there are three wide receivers in the top three. Put them in whatever order you want. Like, they're all great. Rugs, Lamb, Judy. You can rank them one, two, three, three, two, one, two, one, three, two, three, one, however you want to do it. But at 11, 12, 13, you have the Jets, you have the Raiders, and now you have the San Francisco 49ers. All three of those teams would want a wide receiver. That's why we're hearing that, you know, 
Denver at 15 might want to trade up to get ahead of those three teams. We're hearing potentially Cleveland as a dance partner there. Jacksonville might want to trade out. Teams might come up to get ahead of those teams to get a receiver. Arizona, if they don't want to go receiver, they could move back. And so we might see a lot of movement as a result of Tua Fallen, people trying to get up to get a receiver, and teams like Washington looking at the state of play and saying, well, maybe it's smarter for us to just get more picks along the way because Washington, they pick a two, they pick at 66. They don't have a second rounder. That's a 64 pick gap, which is partly the meat of the draft. You look at most people's draft boards, that like 40 to 90 gap, you're getting great players at that point of the draft. There's real value there. And so there's a lot of factors that could go into it. That's why I think it's so fascinating to game these scenarios out. Now, I've just spent five minutes walking through some crazy stuff that could happen. With this virtual draft, with the fact that you've got John Schneider, the GM for the Seahawks, like knocking down walls at his house to make sure the Wi-Fi works. You've got Ryan Pace running an Ethernet cable up from the basement, and it got unplugged during the mock draft because his wife was vacuuming on the stairs, and they lost internet for a bit. You've got another coach saying it lagged for us because the kids were playing on the iPad and watching videos. I'm wondering if teams just say, forget it. I don't want to run the risk that we clock out or they don't stop the clock for us. We're just going to sit here and make the pick. So while there could be crazy scenarios, we could see general managers, notoriously risk-averse people anyway, just saying, forget it. I'm going to be super safe. I'm just going to make a pick. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm kind of rooting for the chaos. Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely. it's a great entertainment. I mean – like you said, look, we've been cooped up now, many of us, for like a month. And we've had moments, like we had the start of NFL free agency, which was nice, and it was a bit chaotic. You know, we've had things like Last Dance was was kind of nice. It, it gave us some time to come together. We've had, you know, some of the Instagram battles at night. You know, I, I think the, the little John T. Pan one was fantastic. I've actually replayed that a couple of times. But we need something. And absolute unmitigated chaos in a draft like this, I think would bring us all together. I think it might be the greatest thing that could happen to us right now as a country, because you know we've all been in, you know, fantasy football mocks or, you know, other kind of draft type situations where it's been chaotic and it's been fun and the heart rate gets going a bit to see that play out on like the global scale that the NFL is, I think would be fantastic. I'm absolutely rooting for chaos. Like I want at like eight 15 tomorrow night there to be like, you know, tweets on the timeline, you know, copy and texts from sources saying, you know, so-and-so general manager can't even put his phone on mute or like, you know, we just saw another general manager, like take his laptop into the bathroom. Like I want that kind of chaos. I think it'll be fantastic. (laughs) It would be great. I'd love it. High quality. I think we could use that kind of entertainment. So let's talk about the quarterback. You kind of talked about that situation where a team could be moving up. Uh, the names are near the top. We all know Joe Burrow, number one. I don't think anything changes that. It gets a little murky around when you talk about quarterback two. Is it Justin Herbert? Is it to attack of Iloa? Uh, where's Jordan Love at? Where do you, how many quarterbacks do you see going in the first round? Because we all know quarterback, whether you agree with it or not, criminally overdrafted. Yeah, absolutely criminally overdrafted. And that's why, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, the sweet spot of this in any draft might be, say, 40 to 90 because you're going to get, you know, such value. You're going to get players that can immediately contribute there, partly because quarterbacks that in a vacuum aren't ranked that high on the board 
are going to come off before then. It's going to push these good players down. I mean, prime example of that. I think Jordan Love goes in the first round. But when Doug Farrar, Doug Farrar and I sat down and ranked our top 50 players, he was number 50 for us. Like in a vacuum, that's where he is. But because of the positional value, he's going to go early. I think we see four. You know, I think we see Burrow at one. I still think Tua, I, he's the second quarterback on my board. It comes down to the injuries and the hip. If he's cleared, I think he's still top five. If not, he's going to slide. I don't think he gets deeper into the teens than, say, you know, 14, 15 or so. You know, one of those teams that trades out might, you know, look to trade then again. You know, say a team like Denver trades up, Jacksonville comes back to 15. And then they say, well, you know, we'll slide back a little bit because now a team that wants to come up and perhaps get a quarterback, like, say, New England perhaps, you know, you might see something like that play out with Tua. I think Herbert still goes top 10. You know, I think everybody assumes the Chargers at six, but maybe something else plays out. And then I I do think we'll see Love at some point. I think the ideal scenario for Jordan Love, you know, might be a team like, say, Indianapolis that doesn't have a first-round pick, but they've got picks at 34 and 44. And if Love gets into the 20s, maybe they're thinking, well, we can get that fifth-year fifth option so they come back into the first round and get him. Could there be a stunner, like, say, a Jalen Hurts, a uh, Jake Fromm? Maybe. You know, I think if there's going to be a fifth, it's going to be one of those two guys. I don't think Easton has played himself into a first-round pick. I, I think people are looking at him and they're seeing, you know, Paxton Lynch 2.0, like a guy that's big, athletic, but has a lot of things to fix. And given the fact that we might have, you know, no training camp, abbreviated training camp, teams might look at him and say, look, we'll let him be somebody else's problem. So I think if there's a fifth, it might be one of those hurts from situations where you know, either a team comes back into the first round to perhaps get that fifth-year option, or a team like Tennessee that doesn't have a ton of needs, but backup quarterback might be one of them. They might look at Jake Fromm and say, this guy can at least run our offense. We're going to be a, a ball control, run-heavy team. He can do that. So you might see something like that play out. So I think we see four outside shot at five. Who would uh, you say is a sleeper at quarterback this year for you? I mean, it depends when you want to – you know, how you sort of term sleeper and where in the draft. I mean, I think Hertz and Fromm are sort of intriguing sleepers, but they're not really taking anybody by surprise. I think they're sleepers in the sense that a team could get them on day two. And these are guys that could be starters next year in the right situation and environment. I think as you get deeper into the draft, say deeper into day three, there are a couple of names I, I think teams should keep in mind. Listeners, fans should keep in mind. I think one is Anthony Gordon from Washington State, obviously coming from that air raid type system under Mike Leach, but you know throws a very good ball, very quick release, needs to fix some of his footwork, but is somebody that I think is going to be ready to handle what he's asked to do in the NFL. People might say, look, Gardner Minshew, similar background. They're different quarterbacks, but that air raid system, ask Gardner, ask Anthony Gordon. They'll tell you, look, it's four or five progression reads. You know, I had Gardner Minshew at last year's senior bowl, you know, and asking him about Mike Leach's offense, why get him ready for the pros. He looked me dead in the eye, Patrick, and he said, look, you know, I'm running four or five progression reads, full field reads, any, every single play. Those quote-unquote college pro-style offenses, and he used the air quotes when he said this to me, I almost died. He's like, they're not doing that. And you saw Gardner's success. And so I think, you know, air raid quarterbacks are getting a bit more of attention because we've seen the success of guys like Gardner. And let's not forget a guy you're very familiar with, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you were, Patrick, I, I got to tell you, 
I last night, a lot of people, they were replaying the 2017 draft and a lot of people were digging up some old Mahomes takes. And I went back, I did a Twitter search for my name and Mahomes, my Twitter name and Mahomes. And one of the first people back in, I think, early 2016 to put a bug in my ear about Patrick Mahomes was you. Like it, it was the summer before his final year. You were like, Mahomes better be on your watch list, man. Like, so credit to you on that one. But these air raid quarterbacks like Mahomes and others, people are seeing what they can do. So Gordon's a name. I like Cole McDonald from Hawaii. He's not for everybody. He's made a ton of mistakes. He plays without any fear, no fear whatsoever in that kid. Right. You know, like, but he'll, you know, he's somebody that has that aggressive mentality that I think a lot of teams will like. I think Nate Stanley is one of those safe sort of, you know, mm-hmm. quarterbacks that can run the pro style offense. I think he's somebody to watch. I think Tyler Huntley from Utah, somebody to watch, has some athleticism. I think as you get even deeper, James Morgan from FIU is a name that I know teams like New England have been linked to. And finally, look, let's not forget, there are two Jay Loves in this quarterback class. There's the one everybody knows, Jordan Love, and there's Josh Love from San Jose State. You know, PFF and their draft guy, they have him as a sleeper. I've got him as a sleeper in my piece and one up today over touchdown wire. You know, he's a bit undersized, just above six feet tall, but throws a nice ball, no fear in the pocket. He's somebody that as we get into like the seventh round, maybe a priority free agent, could teams might really like what they see. And so I really like the depth of this class. I think it, all these guys have questions, but I think you will find guys on day three that will be longtime players in this league. Yeah, you know, you talk about Anthony Gordon. He's a guy that I watched and wrote about at the draft wire. He was a guy that he's intrigued me. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, you know, when you talk about the air raid quarterbacks, I mean, you could even go back um, and say Jared Goff. Right. It's kind of, I guess, the first one in recent memory that kind of pops up. You know, Mahomes, you're right. You know, I was on Mahomes. Obviously, I'm a Texas Tech guy, so obviously I was I was a big Mahomes guy. But I, I've been watching that kid since he played at White House High School. So yeah. I, I had seen years of development from him, and it, it just felt like with his arm talent – it was a no-brainer. Right. Um, but to go to your point about Cole McDonald, I really liked Cole um, until he cut his dreads off. Then he, I right. Dropped, I dropped him down a couple notches. Yeah, although I got to say, and first off, hat tip, all the credit in the world to Trevor Sycamore for the Draft Network because – I love Trev. He, Trev asked him the question. I was standing right next to 12. I, I, I sort of goaded Trevor into asking it because, look, Trev's hair game is much better than mine. So it came, it made sense coming from Trevor, this question, but he asked him full on why he cut the dreads. And I will tell you, Patrick, I, you can find the, the full video on my Twitter timeline. I tweeted it out. I retweeted it recently because of the McDonald buzz, but he went into this long answer about how he was growing the hair out. He had a little bit of hair coming out from the bottom of the helmet, but he wanted to kick the swag up a bit. Talk to somebody that he considered like a mentor and a dear friend who said you should dread him up. So he did it, groom up for two years. But he said, look, going into the NFL draft, going into the combine, I didn't want teams to get the raw impression of me, you know, as a person. I didn't want teams to pass on me because white kid with dreads. And so I cut him. And Cole McDonald went on to say, it's like I always tell myself, look, hair grows back, opportunity doesn't. And I thought that was a tremendous line. And Mm. so if you're an NFL team that you want somebody on day three that's going to come in, have that swaggy type of attitude and not be afraid like he did on third and one on a must win drive late in the game against BYU in the Hawaii bowl to pass up an easy 
first down shallow route and to throw a whole shot deep along the left sideline. If you want somebody that has the stones to make that throw, that's Cole McDonald because that's who he is. And that's what he did. I asked him about that play because literally when I was watching that play in the Hawaii bowl against BYU, I'm thinking, look, you're going to throw the shallow route, stop the clock, get the huddle college rules, get everybody back on the same page. No, he throws the deep hole shot and drills it between the safety and the corner. When I asked him, I said, look, man, we're a counter-based offense. If you're giving me that whole shot, I don't care if it's third and one, fourth and long, first quarter, fourth quarter, whenever, I'm going to throw it. I'm like, look, man, that's it. That's what you want in a quarterback. That's what's part of what has made Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes is that willingness to take that throw when other quarterbacks like, say, Alex Smith wouldn't. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the story I heard with um, uh, former quarterback coach of the Cowboys. Now his name just like Kidna. Yeah. Yeah. Kidna, when he was talking about, uh, he was doing a coaches conference and he was talking about when he was with, you know, Martz. And, you know, he said, he goes, I see this play and I throw the ball. And, and he goes, and Martz, he goes, this has a stoic look on his face, has his play sheet up to his mouth. And he goes, why didn't you throw the dig? And he goes, well, I saw the, the tight end coming across and I knew I could get him. And he goes, why did we call the dig? And he goes, for cover two. He goes, okay. He said, did you get the dig? All right. Yeah. He goes to throw the dig. And it was just kind of funny because he's like, whatever the call is, throw it. Right. Like, I'll take the heat. You know, yeah. and, and you got to love a quarterback who's going to stick with it. I mean, it's like, that's, that's play call, throw it. That's a, that's a great example of it. And, you know, it's interesting, Patrick, you mentioned Kitten, and he's somebody that, you know, you watch some of his clinic presentations. And he goes into that and he talks about how, you know, we always think like, oh, you never go wrong taking the check down. Well, sometimes you do. Like, it's okay to like check it down when you need to check it down. It's okay to take what the defense gives you when they're giving you something that you could take a profit on. But if you're calling plays that have opportunities for shots downfield and you don't take them, it's one thing if you miss it every here and there. It's another thing if you are consistently – avoiding those throws and checking the ball down because eventually the defense is going to say, we don't even have to cover him. Like we're just going to collapse on everything underneath because we know this guy's not going to throw it and you're doing yourself more harm than good in the long run. And so having that, that's why I've always favored quarterbacks that are aggressive because as somebody that was ultra risk averse, both when playing the position and eventually in life until I finally did something different, it's hard to become more aggressive when you're more risk averse by nature. It's much easier to take somebody that's aggressive by nature and say, okay, well, that's okay. Like do that, make those mistakes. But at times you got to check the ball down. Like it's much easier to find that balance when you start from a place of aggression rather than a place of fear. And that's why I think Cole McDonald is somebody that I could see falling into a starting spot and making it his own because he plays from that starting place of aggression rather than fear. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really liked his his game that I watched, the few that I watched. I, I probably watched about six or seven of them. I really liked him. Um, I think he's got a good arm. Um, like you said, the mentality is there. Between the ears is the big thing, and he seems that he's got it. Uh, so real quick, we want to get into our final draft segment here. I kind of want to talk about the wide receiver class. Obviously, we know that this is a really deep class. Uh, but I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on maybe two or three wide receivers who best team fits, you know, um, obviously the top three could probably play in, in anywhere, but like a player like Michael Pittman, where do you think he needs to go? Yeah. I mean, Pittman's an interesting guy in that 
you know, when I was sort of studying him, I was seeing a lot of, say, Alan Robinson. I know people have also shown like an Alshon Jeffrey. You know, I think he's somebody that could is pretty scheme diverse. I think he could work in sort of that bigger X receiver type role. You know, those two guys I mentioned, they come from sort of a West Coast type offense, you know, where they could be sort of that vertical guy as well as somebody that on like third and seven is going to run that comeback route and be an outlet for his receiver. And so I think, you know, teams like Philadelphia, for example, that do need a receiver, but say they double dip at the position, which they might, I think Pittman could work there. You know, I think some other teams that he could work with, you know, that have that sort of vertical element. I think the Chargers, for example, he might be able to be part of that offense, part of that vertical element, um, might be able to factor in sort of that X receiver type role. And so I think Pittman would be served in a couple of different offenses, um, West Coast, downfield. I think those would be probably the better environments for him. Yeah. I mean, the his game, I like you said, he can do a little bit of everything for you, uh, whether it's the comebacks, the deep shots, um, you know. And in in the NFL now, with the the way the passing game is evolved, you need better deep threats, and you need guys that are going to go up get the ball and and create more opportunities for your offense. Um, what about a guy like Jalen Rager? Yeah, Rager is interested. I think look, he projects I, I think extremely favorably to one of those west coast offenses right i mean you look at his ability after the catch you look at his ability to play with the football in his hand you look at you know what he can do underneath i think philadelphia that's why a lot of people are looking at Jalen Ragor as their pick at 21 because of how he translates into an offense like what they run i think the raiders you know if they decide to shock everybody and go in a different direction they don't get one of those top wide receivers at say 12 you know, I think they might like Jalen Rager at the top of the second round. You know, that might be a situation where they could look at him and say he's going to fit almost exactly with what they do. And it makes sense because when you look at him, I sort of comped him to Nelson Aguilar. I think they're very similar players. And who did the Raiders sign this offseason? Aguilar. And so maybe they pass on a wide receiver at 12. Maybe that's where they go at 19 is Jalen Rager you know, rather than waiting into because they don't have a second round pick. Um, so I think West Coast systems would love him. I think if you want to think outside of the box a little bit, you know, a team like New England, you know, when they have some needs at the wide receiver position, you know, they ask a lot of their slots. They ask a lot of their Z type receivers. That's why you typically see new acquisitions in that X role. Um, they could probably use him as sort of a slot Z type guy give him a limited sort of play call sheet and let him just work after the catch. They tried to do that a bit when Nikhil Harry didn't quite work. I think it could work in their offense. But I, I really like the idea of him in sort of that West Coast system because those offenses are so built around what you get after the catch. I think that's perfect. That's his game. Yeah, that definitely is his game. And, you know, if you go back and watch, you know, any TCU games with, with Rager, you can tell that he's a returner just by the way that he navigates yeah. through. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, he brings that dynamic. I mean, you have that dynamic and, you know, so I think that helps out a lot, but Mark, I appreciate you hopping on the show today. Uh, make sure you check out all of Mark's work. Go follow him on Twitter at Mark Colfield. Uh, check out his podcast and everywhere that he is writing. We talked about the 10 or so places at the top of the show that you can catch all of his work. Patrick, man. 
thanks so much for having me on. This was a blast, buddy. Really appreciate the invite. Love getting a chance to chat ball with you. Absolutely. We're probably gonna I'll probably gonna need to get you back on here after the draft, do some wrap up, kinda talk about winners, losers, if you can do that. I mean I know absolutely. it's always fun. Always fun, man. But absolutely love to come back on. Anytime, you know where to find me. All right, Mark, appreciate it, and we will talk soon. Thanks, man.